0: Good morning. God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours all through the name of Jesus. Amen. Names are important to us. Names mean something in our lives. Pastor Dan demonstrated that a little bit in the children's message, and I want to demonstrate it a little more with a game of my own. So I'm going to say a name and their picture will pop up on the screens and I want you to call out something you know about that person. All right, here we go. David Letterman. Talk show, late night. Good. Tony Romo. Football, Dallas Cowboys. Eh. Tim McGraw. Singer, country singer, actor maybe. Okay. Okay. Last one, Pastor Donald Patterson. (laughs) Okay, I'm hearing different ones, but pastor, that's a good one to start with. Good. Leader, yeah, there we go. Names carry meaning, but names only mean so much, or they mean as much as you know about that person. So if I would name uh, an obscure NFL draft pick from the year 1982, I would bet 99% of you would not be able to tell me anything about him. I might, but that's because I looked him up. (laughs) But names affect us and names tell us things about people. And they affect us in very different ways, depending on how a certain person has treated you or or the experience you've had with that name. On one side, maybe you have named your firstborn child after a friend, a sibling, or a grandparent that you had a very good relationship with. On the flip side, there might be one name of one person in your life that really burned you early, early on. And every time you hear that name, your skin crawls and your blood boils and you just can't stand to hear that name. And those two different reactions, very different reactions tell us just how important names are to us and just how, how much they affect our lives. The same holds true for God's name as well. God's name is important to him, so important that he made a whole commandment about keeping it holy. And there are some people who, who jump for joy at the sound of God's name and there are others who, who cringe back and they're disgusted at the sound of God's name. Now, we've already confessed earlier today that we are terrible at keeping God's name holy. So often we jump to words that don't praise and honor God the way he deserves. We curse using God's name. Or we speak in in ways that aren't befitting of Christians to people that God has put in our lives. But I think that the second commandment, the commandment we're talking about today, has a lot more to do with what we do than what we say. Now, I'm not stating that as as doctrine, as official doctrine, but I think the Apostle Paul here, with his words to the Romans, is saying the same thing. So as I read this first group of verses from Romans 2, I want you to watch for where Paul talks about cursing, swearing, or using sarcasm, anything like that. So as I read the verses, keep track. All right. Now, if now you if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have, in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. It seems as though Paul says next to nothing about sarcasm or cursing or swearing, but yet you caught it in verse 24. He says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of God's people. That's strange. If you Google the word blasphemy, it's really the the key word in the second commandment. This is the definition you get. The act or offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things, profane talk. Talk. But let's look at Paul's words a little more closely. Let's look at the meaning behind them. By the end of today, we're going to see that when it comes to the second commandment, it's not about the words. Jump back to the first reading we had today from David and Goliath. David said some pretty remarkable things. He did some pretty remarkable things. But do you think David would have said and done what he did if he was an unbeliever? Probably not. It's because there's, there's something inside of David that set him apart. And so that's why when it comes to the second commandment, it's not just about the words, but it's about your heart. God wants your heart to be close to his. Not your physical, blood-pumping heart but the figurative heart that we talk about when we talk about emotions and believing, believing with all of your heart. We say that. God wants your whole heart or nothing at all, just like Pastor Dan talked about last week with the first commandment. And in the times of the Old Testament, God wanted the heart of the Jewish people to be his and his alone. He chose them to be his special people. He didn't just say it, He showed them how special they were to Him. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He gave them a new land to live in. He gave them His law, what He expected of them. He promised to never leave them or forsake them. And then to top it all off, He promised a Savior that would save the world through their bloodline. You could say the Jews were a very privileged people. But, as, as special and unique and loved and privileged as the Jews were, that love did not exactly reciprocate very well. Not back to God and not back to other people. Because as much as God wanted his people to rely on a Savior sent to save sinners, well, look back to verse 17, what the Jews relied on. If you call yourself a Jew, and if you rely on the law. The Jewish people really wanted nothing to do with a Savior. They could save themselves, or so they thought. They could save themselves through their name and through the law. That was their ticket to heaven. And according to a Jew in Paul's day, if you were not a blood-born Jew, or if you were not circumcised according to the law, You had a very difficult time getting to heaven. And even if you got to heaven, the Jews had the higher spots because, well, they were Jews. That was just a given for them. And they would twist scripture that they were given. They would twist the law to fit everything they thought. The Jews were experts at their memory work. They knew every last command that was written in the book of the law. And they were not only experts in knowing the law, but they knew how to tell every last person how they were breaking that law. They loved to point out sins in the lives of others. But as they became so concerned about the specks of sin in other people's eyes, they became less and less concerned about the plank jutting out of their own eyes. We might get a little chuckle out of comics like this, but it's a sad reality that when we have the law in our lives, we're so quick to point out others, the sins of others, and push ours in the back for no one else to see. It's one thing to know what God expects, what God wants from us, what he demands from us in his law, but it's an entirely different thing let that law work in your heart. The Jews, through this type of thinking and, and through their, the attitude of their hearts, they had become experts at living as hypocrites. And you heard what Paul had to say about them. God's name is blasphemed because of you. And as much as we can sit here and cross our arms and go, yeah, those Jews are terrible. Well, we're receiving the same words from Paul today, aren't we? Our hearts get stuck in that same same rut. God's reputation is tarnished among people because of us. Because we tell people to live one way, and then they see how our lives are and they get confused. Does God's law, Is God's law really all that important if Christians live the way they do? It's not just that we sin. The whole world does that. But it's the fact that we, we set up this list in our hearts of things people have to do in order to be accepted as a real Christian. And then we don't abide by our own list. <laughs> Paul gives us such a list in verses 21 and 22. He lays it out. He says, don't steal, don't commit adultery, and don't worship idols. All very good God-pleasing things. they are three of the Ten Commandments. They're part of this series. They're part of God's Word and we want to obey that. But when we tell other people, don't worship other idols and then we're glued to our phones, we're glued to our jobs, we're glued to anything other than God and we think that that's going to bring us happiness, that's going to bring us salvation, does that uphold God's reputation properly? When my eyes wander sinfully to another woman and then I tell someone that any sort of sexual lust is wrong and condemned by God, do you think they'll get a clear message of what the law says? You tell your family not to be lazy at home, at work, or at school, but then you get to put your feet up whenever you want because you've earned it. You've deserved it. But really, you are guilty of stealing. Stealing time from your family, stealing time from God. There's an old story about a ship called the Queen Mary. When she was first put into sea in 1936, she was the largest ship to cross the ocean. And for 40 years, the Queen Mary went back and forth across the Atlantic, making trip after trip after trip. And then after 40 years, she was retired to Long Beach, California to serve as a floating hotel and museum. And so the owners wanted to give a fresh coat of paint to the smokestacks, to the whole boat. And so they lifted the smokestacks off of the boat, brought them onto the deck where the smokestacks crumbled. Nothing was left of the three-quarter inch thick steel that had been used to build the original smokestacks. All that was left was 30 plus coats of paint. There was no substance. There was nothing to support that paint even though the stacks look to be in fine working condition friends if we are let ourselves be stuck in the dangerous depths of hypocrisy the strong hearts or the strong walls of our hearts they too will rust and fade away such an attitude blasphemes the name of god among all people, whether believer or unbeliever. Jesus gave the Pharisees the same talk when he called them whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23. But then, back to Romans 2, there's verse 29. And the first half of verse 29 says this, No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, not outwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Okay, so Paul has established that the problem is within us, with our hearts. But now he's given us a solution, and it's a circumcision of the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Spirit bring us in power? He brings us the words and the works of Jesus In our second reading today from Matthew 4, we heard about some of those works of Jesus where he triumphed over the temptations that the devil threw his way. You see, the devil wanted to lead Jesus into a life of hypocrisy. If Jesus had sinned just once, if the devil could get him to mess up just one time, no one could take his sacrifice seriously. No one could take his message seriously. God's reputation would have, been, would have been obliterated. And God's promises would have been null and void. But as we heard, Jesus did not give in. He protected the name of his heavenly Father. And he protected your heart as he stood toe-to-toe with the devil. Throughout his whole life, Jesus was perfect in keeping God's reputation and keeping God's name holy. Holy. He never said anything impure. He never did anything impure. He never thought anything impure. Jesus' heart was perfect and innocent. And then as he went to the cross to make the sacrifice for you, Jesus took his heart and he transplanted it into you. That is what makes you a Christian. That is what gives you heaven. That is the circumcision of the heart that Paul is talking about here. Not a to-do list, but a list that is already done for you. Sure, the the written code of the law can change the way you act on the outside. But it does nothing to save you from your sinful self. Only Jesus can do that. I want you to think of your life as if you were going to... uh, a large world meeting, an important world meeting at the White House. All the world leaders are there, all the newspapers, all the, all the news stations, everyone is there for this event. And you are there as a representative. Not of Austin, not of Texas, not the United States even, but you are there representing God. Now, knowing What Jesus has done for you by giving you his whole heart, his perfect heart. How are you going to act as you are at this important world meeting where everything you do is under a microscope? Well, you'd want to reflect the love and and forgiveness that Jesus has given you at the cross. And you would want to make sure that God's name is properly represented by you. And so you're watching your every move, making sure that you don't mess up wherever you go, but then something happens. Maybe you had one too many glasses of champagne. Maybe you were carrying your food and you tripped and you dropped your plate and out come the cuss words. Maybe you tried to tell a joke that you heard on TV and it ended up being a lot more crude and inappropriate than you thought it was originally and now the whole world knows about it. So now back to square one. You have defamed God's reputation. You have misrepresented his name. Not with Jesus, though. Your Savior not only has given you his heart, but he stands right next to you. And he stands next to you to take that shame, to take that guilt away. He's already taken the heat for your sin at the cross. And so even in those times when you don't live up to God's law, when you don't practice what God preaches, you can stand firm and rest assured that your changed heart is a forgiven heart. When you realize the change of heart that Jesus has given you through his perfect life and innocent death, the second commandment becomes more about more than just words, about more than just your heart, it becomes about your whole life. I said earlier that Paul, some of the things he mentions here, well, most of the things he mentions are not bad things. You look through and see that he calls the Jews and us instructors, teachers, guides, lights, and he has those commandments in there and they're all good things and we want to do those things. Not so that we can get to heaven. We already have heaven through Jesus. Not so that we can show people how good we are or how amazing we are or how special we are, but to show everyone how amazing and special God is. We keep these commandments to show God to people So instead of the strict, judgmental, hypocritical God that so many people in the world think God is, let them see in your life that God is loving, He's caring, truthful, unchanging. You can can show that by loving the people of the world that the rest of society has labeled unlovable. You can properly represent God by working cheerfully And honestly, you honor God's name when you forgive a a friend, a child, a parent, a spouse, no questions asked. That type of heart, that type of living brings honor and glory to God's name. Now, if you're looking for a walking example of how to honor God with your life, you don't have to look very far especially here in Austin and here at Holy Word. God has blessed your con- our congregation with the loving heart and life of Pastor Don Patterson for 25 years. No one would ever say he's perfect. He doesn't always practice what he preaches or what God preaches. Basically, he's, he's not Jesus. But that's not the important part. The important part Is that he knows his heart has been changed by Jesus. His heart may be faulty, but Jesus' heart is not. Jesus' heart has filled Pastor's life and his heart with forgiveness and love. And as a result, Pastor's life represents the God that we have. He fights for God's reputation as he counsels those stuck in sin. Not to prove that he's right, but to show you that he cares for your heart in so many different ways. If you've ever sat in pastor's office one-on-one, that's one of the first things he will let you know is that he loves you and he cares about you, that God loves you and he cares about you too. That's not just one-on-one. Pastor teaches and preaches, he marries and buries, all to highlight how amazing and loving and gracious our God is. And his heart spans outside of these walls to people in other countries, people that he's never met because he wants them in heaven with him someday, just like his Father in heaven does. Throughout those 25 years, I don't know if Pastor Patterson has been all that concerned about his reputation. That's not to say he doesn't care about what people think about him or, or how he looks or all that, but I think he's been much more concerned about upholding God and his reputation, holding up God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's love in his life and in his ministry to you. And we celebrate that. We celebrate and praise God for Pastor Patterson. We celebrate that Pastor Patterson has worked so tirelessly for us for all those years. But there will come a day where our praise will seem very insignificant. And that's on the last day, when God returns to bring all those whose hearts have been circumcised by Jesus, brings us all to heaven. And on that day, God's praise will make ours seem like a a speck of dust. Because then God will say to Pastor Patterson, to all those who have slaved for the gospel, to all of us, He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. All in the name of Jesus, amen.